We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Let's pray. Father God, I do praise you for your word. The wisdom of your servant Solomon reminds us that wisdom is that gift of you to us. Matter of fact, God, wisdom is more than just something that is attached to our being. Wisdom is something, God, that you instill within us. And with that, God, there are many great things that come. And I pray, God, this morning as we hear your word, I pray, God, that you would speak into our very being. Teach us whether or not we are actually wise children or whether or not we are just foolish rebels. Father, your, your salvation that you give us through your Son, Jesus Christ, brings many things to us. The first and most important thing is, God, your Son's sacrifice on the cross allows your Spirit to dwell within us. Wow. And with that, God, comes practical wisdom. We often fail in this. We fail to make wise choices. But as God's children... As your children, bought by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, you dwell within us. Your wisdom indwells us. And so, God, I pray these words from your servant Solomon in Proverbs ring true in our ears. Let us see the gospel in this message. Let us see the gospel in wisdom. Help us, Father, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. How many people in this room have made a foolish choice in the last week? How many people made a foolish choice this morning? Maybe not yet. <laughs> Amen. There's something about day-to-day living. Sometimes we get it right, Some, and actually most of the time we get it wrong. There's something about everyday choices that challenge us. Do we make the right choice? Do we not make the right choice? What is the right choice? What is the, not the right choice? It is part of everyday living, especially in a fallen and broken world, especially in a day and age where we are so bombarded with choices and so bombarded with different worldview messages competing for our attention, trying to get us to not listen to the wisdom of the Lord. And I think the words of 
Solomon here in chapter 8 help us realize that it is wisdom that I think we have established pretty clearly. We could say that Jesus equals wisdom. Wisdom equals Jesus. We see this in Matthew chapter 12, Luke chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All of those New Testament passages clearly point, and even uses the language, that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. Amen? Amen? And we as Christians, if we are Christians, we benefit from the blood of Christ and the wisdom portrayed through Christ to us. Christ is not just some savior, some good teacher, prophet that somehow lived 2,000 plus years ago and we just remember his historical presence. Is Jesus not alive and present in the now? And where does Christ dwell? Christ dwells within his church. He dwells within each and every Christian that is here. And with that, if that is the case, the wisdom of Christ also dwells in us. Verse 12 here of Proverbs chapter 8 is a great introduction to what we're speaking about here today. This is wisdom talking. All of chapter 8 is actually pointing to the correct righteousness within God's wisdom in contrast to the previous chapters where the uh, chapters 4 through 7 really are warnings against false wisdom. And now in chapter 8 of the book of Proverbs, we see what righteous wisdom truly is in contrast to those previous chapters. Now we come to verse 12. Wisdom here is now speaking. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And I love the way the King James translates this verse. The King James Version says, I, I wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. That's good old English language. Witty inventions. What does it mean? In order to understand what we're speaking about here in verse 12, let's understand what wit is. You know somebody who is witty? Witty, to to have a witty personality, to have a, a, a witty dispensation, is somewhere in this balanced middle between someone who is a bore and someone who is a buffoon. This actually comes from Aristotle. Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics points to the, the, the golden mean of personalities and, and ways of being in that you can have two extremes. You can either be foolish or you can be rash. You're either on the low end or you're on the high end. And those extremes are nowhere that anyone needs to be. But somewhere in the middle, we find balance. It's kind of like the old... Uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears story. When Goldilocks comes into the house, she finds out that Papa Bear's chair is too hard and Mama Bear's chair is too soft, but Baby Bear's chair is just right. And there's something about, in verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and in the King James, and find knowledge, out of knowledge, witty inventions. In other words, discretion. The idea here of balance, not too little, not too much, but just right. 
what it is is what is this idea of prudence? I wisdom dwell with prudence. Now notice this idea here of dwelling with. Is that not a, a gospel idea of God dwelling with his people? Christ incarnate is God dwelling with us. As we come into the Christmas season here in the next month or so, we are going to be thinking about this as a church. What does it mean that God dwells with us? If we think about it from this context of Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom, which is God's wisdom through His Son Jesus Christ, is that which dwells with us. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. In other words, where there is Wisdom, where there is discretion, where there is that common sense balance is where Christ dwells. Think about this. How many Christians do you know are just in an unending cycle of bad decisions and foolish living? But they claim the name of Christ. I would argue that if that is the state that a Christian is in, there is something that we as the church must do. We must come alongside them and teach them the wisdom of Christ and say, listen, let's look at your life. Look at the outcome of your choices. Is that where you want to be? Is this where Christ himself has you? Does Christ bring us into a life of chaos and confusion? Or does Christ bring us somewhere in that just right place where everything is working well? doesn't mean that it is this un, unreasonable a utopia. That's, that's, that's irrational. That's not right. That's not real living. We're going to have struggles. But in the midst of everyday living, do we not have Christ and his wisdom dwelling with us to where we can make prudent decisions? I think the words of the Proverbs here point to that idea. If your life is so out of control that you have no good choices to make, or the choices that you have made have led you down into an area of your life where everything is just crazy, I don't think that's where Christ wants us to be. And I don't even think Christ is part of that. I think God's people who follow wisdom As Christ dwells in us, his wisdom dwells with us as well. And we can use discretion and learn how to be his people. Because what what is prudence? Whenever I was reading this, and every time I hear the word prudence, I cannot help but think about when uh, George H.W. Bush, the senior, was president of the United States he was, the one joke that Saturday Night Live always played up was that line from uh, Bush, wouldn't be prudent, right? I can never get away from that line anymore. For the rest of my life, I will be forever tainted by that one word, wouldn't be prudent. In other words, what is prudence? Prudence is the ability to govern and discipline oneself. That's what prudence is. You are able to govern your choices. You are able to walk in discipline in your life. You are able to use reason. That's what prudence is. But do we know, how many people do we know, they just lack reason? They just lack self-control. They have no discipline in their lives. They cannot govern 
where they're going, what they're doing. Another way to understand prudence is to be, uh, to, to be a shrewd manager. Right? To be shrewd in one's life. To manage your life in such a way that your life glorifies God. And it's not an embarrassment to the gospel. Can we say that? Even if, even if, even if you just say, well, my life is not worthy of, of any kind of control. Well, God's name, His Son Jesus Christ, and the gospel that He issued into us is worthy of our following and living uprightly as people of God for His name's sake alone. Prudence. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. So if we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, then the wisdom that He is, is also ours, and therefore we can live a prudent life and make good choices. Or if we make bad choices, at least have the wisdom to figure out how to overcome it and fix it. Because we're all we're going to make bad decisions. We're going to live things, we're going to do things in ways that are embarrassing to us and embarrassing to the gospel, but we live under grace and there are, at least there is the wisdom to be prudent enough to manage even that which has failed. What is this wisdom we're talking about then? Verse 13 reminds us that wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Wisdom hates perverted speech. Wisdom hates arrogance and pride because the fear of the Lord brings this. Wisdom grants one the ability to hate evil. This right here I think is the first step of being prudent Christians. That which is not of God should be that which we see as we as what we hate. We should not embrace evil. We should not love evil. We should not even be associated with that which is evil. If we are in Christ, and according to verse 13, this is the first sign of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Wisdom grants one the ability to recognize and not even feel comfortable within these things. Not to be comfortable with an unhealthy pride. Not to be comfortable with arrogance or presumption. How many Christians do we know who claim the name of Christ and you just shake your head after talking with them and you just feel so uneasy because they're so full of themselves? Amen? I would argue that there's a lot of work that the gospel has to do in their lives to wipe away the evil of arrogance and pride. The other thing here is that in verse 13, wisdom grants one the ability to live a lifestyle that is not the evil way. Because evil is really a way of living. Evil is a thing that is a lifestyle that results in a lot of destruction. And wisdom grants us the ability to recognize that which is destructive, to recognize that which is not of God, because we fear God. And in verse 13, I don't think it's, a, a, I don't think it's an accident that in verse 13, Solomon's wisdom points to the key things that start all evil, and that is pride and arrogance. You see that? And pride and arrogance leads to perverted speech. 
distorted tongue, that which can persuade people to do things that are away from God. If you have a slick tongue, you can be very successful in this world. It's not just the United States. This has been something that's been true throughout all of human history. We can read ancient texts of warning against the slick-tongued politician. Nothing new. And if, you, if someone has a slick persuasion, they have a perverted speech. God says here in verse 13, he hates it. Now in verse 14, we move on that wisdom not only grants us the ability to hate evil, wisdom has a force or a power that is desired by kings. You ever thought about that? Verses 14 through 19, I have counseled, this again, this is wisdom speaking. I have counseled in sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. That defines wisdom right there. 15, verse 15, by me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. If we look here in verse 16, the idea of the nobles, in other words, the nobles are those who are in sovereign power, those who are in high authority, those who are seen as the most elite and most desirable amongst us. That ties directly into chapter 8, verse 6 that we talked about last week. Remember chapter 8, verse 6? Oh, hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. You see, wisdom is this thing that those that kings have always desired because in order to rule well, to maintain your authority, then wisdom is necessary. Because those in authority are, are given the task of deciding for us how things are to be. Are we praying for those who are above us in our government? Are we praying for those who are above us at our work? Are we praying for those who are above us in general that God would grant them wisdom so that they would have the power and the insight and the strength of God to lead well? That's what we see here because wisdom is full of counsel. Wisdom has strength and power. Having insight and wisdom is the most valuable thing that anyone could have if they are in authority. Matter of fact, those who are in authority, whatever the organization is, whether it be local government, state government, national government, and a, a company, a corporation, a factory, at school, wherever it is, those who are in leadership, we pray, would have God's wisdom because it is power, insight. That's what leaders are doing. Wisdom has a force. It is a power that men of ancient times, have they, they saw wisdom more valuable than treasure because it gives them power to rule and to govern well. You see, wisdom not only helps a king, wisdom actually permits the king to rule. And wisdom here looks at kings. Now think about kings. Kings are sovereign, aren't they? Right, verse 15, by me kings reign. So in other words, by wisdom, because wisdom is speaking here in verse 15. By me kings reign. So without wisdom, kings would have no reign, no power. And nobles, all who govern 
justly. Those of the nobility are those who end up in the monarchy. Those who rule are those who are of the best. And so wisdom actually permits these nobles, these princes, these kings to rule. And all of these people, the nobles, the princes, the kings, we see them as sovereign. Same imagery we have here of God himself, right? God is sovereign. Likewise, kings desire the same. And they know the way to get it is the wisdom. If God is sovereign, then we know that the sovereignty of the Lord is ultimate. That's what the idea of sovereign is. God who is sovereign is ultimate above all things. We, the name of our church is Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. We chose that name for a reason. Because we knew that the grace that grants us salvation is not of our own choosing. Grace is a sovereign gift of God. He ushers grace and forgiveness as He deems fit. Not as we earn. Sovereignty. So God Himself, the Sovereign, Above all sovereigns. God's sovereignty is even more sovereign than the kings and the princes and the nobles. Spoken of here in verses 15 and 16. They know that. Any wise king, anyone who is in authority knows they have no authority apart from God's authority who gives it to them. We have to understand here that even if God is sovereign, which means that God himself The sovereignty of the Lord is ultimate. Ultimate meaning higher than anything else. If the sovereignty of God is ultimate, the book of Proverbs here nicely somehow harmonizes and correlates God's sovereignty with human decisions. See, sovereignty does not mean that you and I are just mere puppets, that God just pulls the strings. If that's your understanding of sovereignty, then you've missed it. If the the idea that our salvation and our living as Christians is that we are just mere puppets of God, then then we have totally missed the biblical understanding of it. There is a mystery here. Somehow God who is sovereign, who is in charge of all things and controls all things, His providence through His sovereignty orchestrates all that we do does not mean that we have no choices either. This is the mystery of that that many of the ancient church fathers wrestled with. How do we harmonize God's sovereignty with the fact that we as human beings have choice? I haven't figured it out. I mean, even St. Augustine, as he was writing about it, he basically concluded, I don't know. That's really what is his conclusion. St. Augustine in the 4th century A.D., he argued, there is truth that God is sovereign and I did not save myself, yet somehow I still have freedom to live and to choose as a, a free creature. How does that work? It's a mystery. See, the book of Proverbs, I think, is this wonderful, rich text of ancient sayings, God's words speaking through men, wisdom that shows us that God is ultimately in control, yet we are still responsible for the choices and the discernments that we make every single day. 
See, it would be nice to us to say, well, God, if you're sovereign and in your control, when I just blew the budget at the house and my checkbook doesn't balance, that's your fault, God, because you're sovereign. I have heard it said. Amen? That would be unwise, wouldn't it? You see, but ultimately what comes to pass here is that what the Lord decides ultimately is not what we as humans plan, but somehow He still allows us the privilege to plan. Anybody know what tomorrow's going to look like? The only thing you know about it is that you have to be at work at whatever time in the morning, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, that's the only thing for certain you know. Kids, you know for certain that you're going to be in school in the morning. There is no snow in the forecast. You will be in school. Amen? Kids got real quiet. Oh, is it fall break this week? Well, then I just, I just said something incorrect, didn't I? So you are not going to school in the morning, but your parents are going to work. <laughs> but here's, the th- here's, the, here's how this works. You see, God's sovereignty somehow harmonizes with free will in that we are still making human plans, and even as we make human plans, God is still in control of the human plans in the end. You see, God is there precisely in the uncalculable element. There's this, there's this aspect of predicting the future that we cannot calculate. Even though we can lay the plans for this week, this month, we can lay plans as we finish out the year, but ultimately God himself is that unknown calculation in the whole process. And in a single stroke, God, who we have scarcely noticed in the process, suddenly takes over the whole affair that we were in charge of, and God takes it out of our hands and it becomes his glory. I heard it described this week in a very, very profound way. It's as if God understands the the vast tapestry of existence in such a way that he sees the beauty of the weaving. The only thing that we see, if you've looked at any kind of a a good rug, I'm not talking about the rugs that are silkscreened, I'm talking about the rugs that are woven. If you look on the back side of that rug, you've got all the loose strands on the back that all the different colors and the different weaves don't make sense. But if you look on the other side, that's where God is seeing, and He sees it all where it goes. He sees the grand beauty of it all. And somehow we are mixed up in that weaving. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So it's both and. We plan our way, yet God establishes the steps. It's a both and. And that's what the book of Proverbs helps us see. What we see here moving forward is this. Look here in verse 17. What we see here in verse 17, wisdom is continuing to speak. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold even fine gold, 
and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. You see, look here in verse 17. Wisdom is speaking here again. And wisdom is saying, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Is that not the words of our Lord? Listen to that. If God Himself has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus because He loved us. And God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Wisdom will come to those who love it. Wisdom will be found by those who seek it. So this is another aspect of sovereignty in that there is a responsibility on our part to not only receive the wisdom of God, but to also love it, to also desire it, to also seek it. And what is the result of this? You see, there's a two-way street here about love. Love is always two ways. Love is never just one-sided. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. There is something here about wisdom becoming a part of who we are. You see, wisdom instills virtue. Look here in verse 20. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. This idea of filling the treasuries is an idea, is an imagery here of whatever we are receiving as a reward becomes ours. It becomes ours. This, this wisdom that loves us, this wisdom that is a riches beyond riches, that is better than gold and choice silver, Verse 20 says, I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice. Whenever you're walking somewhere, are you in the path? When you're walking, are you making the choices of which step to take? When you're walking in the way, that means that you are part of it, and the righteousness is part of you. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice. What we're looking at here in verses 20 and 21 is that wisdom becomes the character of the one who embraces it. That if you love wisdom and wisdom loves you, it's no more these, it's not a separate thing. It becomes who we are. Wisdom becomes the character of the one who embraces it. Wisdom dwells with the righteous. This idea in verse 12 of Proverbs 8, I wisdom dwell with prudence. It's the idea that wisdom becomes a part of where it is. Wisdom instills virtue. Character becomes who we are. It, if, if we embrace wisdom and wisdom embraces us, then we become wise, very much the same as Christ dwelling with us. Notice here, the words of wisdom here in verses 20 and 21, the words of wisdom are speaking through the righteous. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me. It's as if wisdom is saying, I want to be part of who you are. Isn't that great? 
Now, where does this come from? Wisdom is often translated into our daily living. Whatever our daily life looks like will reflect the wisdom that we have or don't have. Whatever our daily living looks like will reflect the Christ that we have or don't have. That's what we're looking at here. And part of it is how we speak. In verse 13, remember, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. If our very speech is not in alignment with God, then I would argue, based on this text, wisdom is not a part of who we are. Look here in Romans chapter 8. This was our call to worship passage today. Romans chapter 8. And we'll tie this together. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in the body, that's the same thing as saying that the Spirit of Christ dwells in our being. Our very being is defined more than just the flesh. Our being is defined by our spirit and the flesh together. Amen? You see, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in the body, then the Spirit of Christ dwells in our mind, in our, spirit, in our soul, in our spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ becomes that of the righteous. And if we say that Christ equals wisdom, then in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom becomes part of who we are when we walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, verse 20. And wisdom then grants us an inheritance because we love Christ and we love wisdom and then our treasuries are full. And that idea of treasury is not just prosperity, gospel treasury. That treasury is a rich life of wisdom and good choices. So what is, the, what is remarkable here about godly wisdom in the Scriptures is that godly wisdom becomes stitched into the very character of those who receive it. Can we say Amen. It is not that our actions save us, nor do our actions and choices justify us. That is through Christ alone. Yet, if godly wisdom through the Spirit of Christ can indwell us just like Christ's Spirit dwells within us, then we will be in a state of prudence and good decisions. And it changes our character. That's the thing I want us to really understand here about wisdom. Not only does the wisdom of Solomon here point to this, not only does the wisdom of Christ speak of this, even pagan, non-Christian philosophies around the world and throughout history have said the same thing. That if you find wisdom, 
your character changes. Now, I would argue that pagan wisdom is not still complete. You still need the godly wisdom through Christ. The pagan wisdom of the philosophies have missed the key element. And that's Christ. There's no way that we can manufacture a wise character. Wisdom must change us. And Christ is the only one who can do that. You see, for some, wisdom is just this external how-to check-off list. Wisdom is this best-selling how-to book. Wisdom is not a list of things that you try to improve your lives. Wisdom is something that becomes who you are. So wisdom is not external. (laughs) Wisdom is part of the innermost nature of who we are. Wisdom is our essence. It's the very nature of our being. Wisdom then becomes the very fabric of our character. And if Christ is not that which changes our character, we will be fools trying to live a Christian life. Amen? Come on up, Caleb. Here's the thing about our Savior, Jesus Christ. If Christ is wisdom... And I agree he is. (laughs) And if we are in Christ, Christ is in us. So therefore, we have Christ's wisdom as part of who we are. But let's just be honest that we have failed (laughs) more times than we dare admit. We have embarrassed the gospel with our mismanagement of finances, our mismanagement of lives, mismanagement of parenting. Can we say, be honest here? How many parents in this room say you did it right (laughs) or did it perfectly? We do the best we can, but we'll mess up. No matter how much we try to live rightly, we will fail. But here's the beauty of Christ's wisdom dwelling within us. God's not leaving us on our own. He loves those who repent of their mistakes who have the wisdom to realize, yeah, I was not in Christ in that decision. I made a foolish decision. There's always forgiveness. And we learn. We learn from our failures, don't we? A wise person learns from their mistakes. A foolish person keeps doing the same thing. Amen. I want us to close in prayer. I want to encourage you, if there's something in your life that you're struggling with that you feel guilt about because it was a bad choice, give it to the Lord. Allow His love and His wisdom to pour into you and to give you comfort, but also wisdom to take the next step out of the mess. Amen? For God's people, that's what that means. This altar is open for you. If you need to come and do some business with the Lord, it's open. If you need to pray right where you're at, pray where you're at. And let's close in prayer together. Father God, we thank you, Lord. You just didn't throw us into this world into a chaotic soup. You gave us structure. You gave us order. You gave us a path to follow. And as your Son, Jesus Christ, dwells in us, Lord, the wisdom that only you can give comes with him. We were fools in our sin, but we are wise 
in your salvation. I pray, God, that you would make us your people. Lord, that you would teach us how to learn from our mistakes, how to make wise choices, live in prudence so that we bring you glory. It's not for our prosperity, God. It is for your glory and yours alone that we ask this. And so I pray right now, Father, all in this room who call you Savior, love on us. Fill us with your wisdom. Give us discernment that is beyond the world's discernment. Give us, Father, the right eyes to see, the right ears to hear, the right ability to think and reason so that we make wise choices for your glory and your kingdom. Forgive us where we have failed in this, where we have made foolish decisions. You have allowed us to do that, but in your wisdom, you give us the chance to learn. Help us grow. Help us flourish. Help us become better men and women. Not for our prosperity, but Lord, for your, your glory. And in this, Lord, we ask and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.